This week, uh, I got to get away for a couple days, and I loved it because I had a downtime to study. <laughs> it was just good, no distractions, no other things. I got to go uh, to a place called Be Still Retreats. It's a place for pastors where they can go uh, just to pray, to get away from it all. And they got an awesome plot of land there. I got to walk the grounds. I got to see deer. I got to see a couple bucks. It was just really cool, beautiful. Um, but it was out in Plainfield. Deanna grew up in Plainfield. There's nothing in Plainfield except potatoes and a bunch of sand, I guess. I didn't know it was so sandy out that way. And everywhere I was walking, I'm seeing these anthills. Everywhere are these hand, and I'm accidentally stepping on these anthills, and I felt so bad. These little guys have done so much work, and I just went and I just collapsed their their mound or their hill. How many of you guys have seen a good sized anthill or mound in your lifetime? You know, some of you guys probably for fun just knocked it over. Okay, um, I did that when I was a kid. But if you guys ever watch what the ants do, what do they do immediately after that happens? They're right back to work, aren't they? They don't even think, they're not sitting there getting bummed out. Okay, there aren't moments of hesitation. Oh man, this big thing just wiped out our home, knocked down our, our pyramid that we have made after all these months of work. I can't believe they don't do that, do they? They're right back to work. You think there'd be a minute that they'd get upset and say, hey, you big meanie, you know? But no, okay, it seems that they're at perfect peace and they're just back to what they do, okay? I'm a, I'm a, just a normal task. So it's difficult when someone kicks our mound or when life comes crashing in, okay? Our home is destroyed when we have to fix something that we just fixed. It's irritating, isn't it? It's very irritating. So we live in a time of unrest, of anxiety. How many people go to bed every night with anxiety and they wake up in that same anxiety? It is all around us. There's an uneasiness. There's hurricanes. There's tons of fires out west. Okay, um, Homes are being foreclosed on. Measles are on the rise because people don't want to vaccinate their kids. Gas prices. You know, you guys ever talk to those people? That's what they care about. You meet somebody, they want to talk about gas or the weather or whatever. It just seems everybody's undone. There's financial woes people are going through. The stock market isn't shaking out the way they want to. Marriage is being redefined. Uh, there's threats of attack on Israel nonstop. And then we have the American anthem and the whole NFL thing. <laughs> it's just like, what is going on today? So how do we handle all these things? As the children of God, how are we to handle all these things going on around us? Well, we're going to panic or we're going to have peace. It's really your choice, isn't it? So, I want to talk about that shalom type of peace with you guys this morning. I'm talking about the peace of God, okay? Shalom, that quietness, that confidence, that peace that you find security in and rest, a true calm to your soul. It's the steadiness of Daniel while he was waiting there in the lion's den. It's the serenity of Jesus 
while he was asleep in that boat when the storm was raging all around him. It's the joyful singing of Paul and Silas while they were both in jail there. It's the stability of Paul wanting to go into the theater and help his friends. And I think Isaiah really gives us the key to this. And I want all you guys to take a look, own this scripture, memorize this scripture, highlight it like crazy, okay? We're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. I believe this is really the key to the Christian's peace, okay? It says here, you will keep him in perfect peace. Doesn't that just sound good? Not just peace, but perfect peace. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a believer in Jesus. There's times I have peace that surpasses understanding. But some of you might experience that peace like I do. It's here and then it seems it's gone just as quick as it came sometimes. Sometimes it's just there. Things are very chaotic. And that peace of God is just with me. Things are good maybe for hours, days, weeks. And then it's just like, wait, where'd that peace go? What just happened? Well, here's the key to keeping that peace. It says here, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Is that not a cool passage? Okay, circle it, please. You need to have this one in your heart, okay, in your life. Now, if you jump back to verse 1, Okay, the prophet here is speaking about this song, okay? The prophet wrote a song that will be sung by who? The redeemed, right? The redeemed when the Messiah comes to establish his millennial kingdom. That's a pretty exciting thing. This is a song about rejoicing. There is a hope. This is something we're looking forward to. Okay? It's going to be the number one song on the family during the millennium. Okay? <laughs> now, in verse 3, it says, You will. And I love when the scriptures lay out what God's going to do. Because even in our best effort, in all of our strength, don't we still totally come short? It just doesn't shake out. It doesn't work. But when God does something, he does it right. He does it perfect. It's everlasting, right? So you will. So he, God, he's going to give us peace. He's going to give peace to his people. Also, if you look at verse 12 here, Lord, you will establish peace for us. He's going to do that. For you have also done all our works in us. So perfect peace. In the original language, peace, peace. Or shalom, shalom. That's what he's talking about. Peace upon peace. A duplicating peace. A peace that really is peace. And isn't that what the world's looking for today? Right? I mean, if you're really beautiful and you win some contests and then you're asked, what would you like to see or to have or to happen now? world peace. <laughs> Everybody wants peace, right? We see it all over. Peace. But the reality is, it isn't going to happen apart from the Prince of Peace, apart from God himself, Jesus Christ. Okay, so this peace that is spoken of here is a duplicating peace. It's a real peace. 
So we're also told that this peace is connected with what? Trusting, right? To trust. The redeemed will readily testify to the everlasting faithfulness of God. That's our job. He has been faithful. Some of you guys are tripping right now because you don't know how certain things are going to shake out. You don't know why all this is taking place in your life and around the world. But let me tell you what, saints. God is faithful. You can look back. We might not always know looking forward how things are going to shake out, but we should be able to know God's track record by looking back. Holy cow, it hasn't always been easy. Things didn't always happen the way I wanted, but the one thing is you've been faithful through it all, every single part of it. And why wouldn't he then be faithful moving forward? Amen? So let us rest upon him in all of our weight. Okay? He is faithful. Let us drive out all, all unbelief. Why? Because he is faithful. And let us rid ourselves of all doubts in fears. Why, brothers and sisters? Because he is faithful. Let that be our anthem. Spurgeon said this, a loving parent would be sorely grieved if his child could not trust him. You see, this sounds wonderful, but does it really work? Can this fit into our contemporary lives to have a mind that stayed upon the Lord. Because that's kind of hard, Pastor. I gotta check my Facebook a lot. I got things to do. I'm a really busy person. I don't have time to spend mental energy staying focused upon the Lord. No, God says, this is what I want you to do. Set your mind on things above. We get so caught up into the earthly things. Don't we worry about things that don't even really need to be worried about? You know, I struggle with anxiety. You guys know that, okay? I struggle with depression. And a lot of it, guys, is because I waste so much time. Where, where are those struggles coming from? It's all in the mind. That's where so much of it comes from. Satan comes, he'll throw those fiery darts. You guys know what I'm talking about. He loves to tempt us. He loves to get us off track. What's God asking us to do? Look to me. <laughs> Satan's trying to get our eyes off of him. And that's why we need to rest in a scripture like Isaiah 26 here. We need to look to him. We need to trust him. We need to keep our minds stayed upon him. If you have an NIV, it says steadfast of mind. So to be stayed or steadfast, to lean upon. Okay, And mind is really a state of mind if you look into what that actually means. It's your state of mind. And isn't it good, brothers and sisters, when our minds are stayed upon him? When we're steadfast, I know, God, this is hard, but you're faithful. I know you're going to shake this out. I know you're there for me. You haven't left me or forsake me. I know that you're going to do something here. You're going to work it out for good. I can cling to you. I can trust to you. That's where he wants us to be. And it's so easy to do when we're looking to him, isn't it? But when we get our eyes off of Jesus, when we're no longer fixing them upon him, and we get our eyes on the circumstance, the storm that we're going through, that's when we start to trip. That's when Peter began to sink, correct? He got his eyes off of Jesus. And that's where I see not just the world, but the church. They're sinking. Why aren't we having an impact? Why are there so many still in unbelief? Because we're looking at the wrong things. 
We've gotten our eyes off the Lord, and that's where they need to stay to be. Because let me tell you what, guys, I love sharing Jesus. And when my eyes are on the Lord, when my mind is steadfast upon Him, I've been meditating in His Word. I've been in communion with Him, praying, in tune with my Heavenly Father. Let me tell you what, I bump into a stranger, and you know what happens? I'm just talking about Jesus. It's just an overflow of what's going on in my life, and people are getting saved. I don't go to a whole lot of Packer games. I got to go to the Bears game. And some of you guys saw a photo on my Facebook. I'm there with a Bears fan. You guys want to know the trippy part about this man that I literally was sitting right in front of me? How many seats are in Lambeau Field? It's got to be 70, 80,000. How many? Hundred? I don't know. Tens of thousands. <laughs> Tons of people there. And here is this man. He introduces himself to me and stuff. He's Skyler, and he looks at me, and he's like, and you're Landon. I'm like, how, how do you know me? How do I know a Bears fan to begin with? <laughs> Not coming down in Chicago. <laughs> We're having this conversation. We're having fun. I'm ripping on him a little bit as a you know, Bears fan. And then we do introductions, you know, and he's like, I, I, I know you. He's 15 years ago, you shared the gospel with me. And I started going to Pastor Steve's Bible study. I'm like, are you serious? 100,000 people here? And I bump into this one, what's the Lord doing in his life? What's he doing in my life? Why did, you know, I felt like I needed that encouragement Thursday night. Like, what a blessing. But the reality is, what was going on 15 years ago in my life? Why was there just an overflow that I would have been sharing? Well, look back 15 years ago, I was loving Jesus. It was the same time I was getting married to my wife. You know, and at that time, let me tell you what, you guys know when your first engagement is just like all you want to do is think about your spouse to be, sweet season in life. You know, so I'm loving her a whole lot, but I still obviously had time to be loving Jesus that I'm sharing him. And that's one common thing, no matter what happens, no matter whatever highs, marriage, children, blessings of life come, or lows that there may be in life, the one thing that should be consistent in all our lives is our love for Christ. Amen. That our minds are fixed upon Him. Okay, That shouldn't change. No matter what happens in this life, that relationship with Him, it should always be on. And to be honest, guys, there has been times where I've had highs and lows in my relationship with Christ. Last few years, I feel like it's a day-to-day -day thing. <laughs> but what do we do as Christians? We choose to walk in the truth. Lord, I feel this way. Life is not getting easier. I thought it was going to get easier. It's actually getting a little harder. But you haven't changed, and I'm still going to trust you. And that's why we keep moving forward, soldier. God has given us a commission. We need to be faithful. And it doesn't matter how we feel. We trust him. That's what the scripture says. We trust the Lord. We fix our eyes upon him. Keep your mind stayed upon him. So despite how you feel or what's shaken out in life, that should be consistent. Amen? So, um, so to keep, this little word keep too, it means to watch over, to protect that which God does, the keeping, uh, he does the part of keeping us in that peace. So it's repeated for emphasis here, shalom, shalom, or an unending security. So if you put the, the, these together, the line actually would read this. Listen carefully. 
the frame of mind that is leaning on and receiving support from you, O Lord, you will protect with infinite calm. Wow! What a neat promise. So the next line then tells us that the thrust of this piece is our trust in God. That's where it's going to come from. It's trusting in Him. So the Hebrew word for trust has an Arabic cousin that provides us a picture uh, as well as a meaning. It says to throw one down upon his face. So the point, <laughs> the point, those who throw themselves on God, who remove all other crutches, who abandon all anxieties and fear will experience God's shalom. Is that not cool? So how long should we trust him? Isn't that the problem? That shouldn't even be a question. But it is a question that we should ask. How long? Until the clouds disappear? Until we can handle things ourselves? No. <laughs> Forever. That's the point. Forever, guys. And as long as we trust him, he will be there like a timeless, immovable rock. And he invites each of us to cling to it as a little child would cling to their father's neck. Don't let go. I'm clinging. I'm hanging on. You got me. <laughs> That's what he wants. So one person whom we found consistently in its embrace is the Apostle Paul. It's one thing I have so appreciated in his example as we've been able to walk a little bit in his life with him going through the book of Acts. This man went through some crazy stuff, hasn't he, guys? But yet he had this peace with his maker. He had this calm in the midst of chaos. Hey, I know if I go back into the city, they might kill me again. <laughs> but I'm going to go. So let's read. Let's go to uh, Acts 19. We'll finish up this chapter this morning. And I want us to see three ways Paul displays peace. Okay? Through unfulfilled dreams, through uncontrollable, unpleasant circumstances, and also through uncertainty. So the first one that we'll look at this morning is he remained faithful in spite of panic of unfulfilled dreams. Look at verse 21. When these things were accomplished... Paul purposed in his spirit. And I think this is huge, guys. Often do we just kind of go with the flow. I know this is what God wants, what his word says. But do we ever own it? Do we ever purpose when God speaks something to your heart, into your life? Do you purpose, I'm going to own this? God, you're calling me to be this type of man, this type of woman, a wife, a husband, a father, a mother an employer, employee, a neighbor. Do you purpose in your heart? Do you purpose in spirit to say, yeah, this is it, God. This is it. I'm not going back there. You've told me to leave that behind, to move forward, to walk in this. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I need to purpose that. And it's so much easier when you have, because then you don't have to flirt with any longer or have to think upon, well, if I do it just this once, or if I go back to that, no. If you've already purposed, you're done. It's cut off. It's finished. 
You've moved on. You're purposed in your spirit. I love that they use that right here, that Paul purposed in his spirit. And when he had passed through Macedonia and Acacia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Verse 22, so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered with him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself, he stayed in Asia for a time. So Paul's soul always burned for one day to be in Rome, to make it to Rome. Why Rome? Well, Rome, the oval office of the world, the place of ultimate clout, maybe to gain an audience with the emperor, well, maybe to meet and to speak with some of the most influential Christians of the day. We're told that they were there in Caesar's household. Well, verse 22, the next verse here, 22, it shows his ability to wait, to be content for God's timing. Is that an easy thing, contentment, guys? No. And you want to know why I know that's true? Because we're told not to covet. I see in the church just as much covetousness as there is in the world. We're looking at each other. Why don't I get to do what they do? Why don't I have what they have? Why am I not blessed that way? I want this. I want that. It's here. And it's because we're not content. Contentment with godliness is great gain, the scripture tells us. It's really that simple. But how many of us strive to be content? Not a whole lot of us are always looking at what we don't have and what we want. You see, guys, I love the Apostle Paul's example for you and I here. He's just content in waiting upon the Lord. Whatever. God, I want to go to Rome, but this is where you have me. That's okay. So we're told in verse uh, 22 that he's in this place. And I think the question is, how long do you have to wait then? How long was he in Asia? Well, if we do some quick math, he had three months in the synagogue, we're told back in verse 8, two years in the school of Tyrannus in verse 9, which leaves nine months there in Asia while Rome was tugging on his heart. So Paul's natural response to his unfulfilled dreams would have been frustration, anxiety, and panic, but God's peace was watching over him. Isn't that cool? God's peace was there with him. In the result, he was able to wait patiently and to keep working on those present tasks that were set before him. So lesson number one for you and I this morning, we need to lean on the Lord as an everlasting rock, entrusting the future to him, and he will support us with his peace. Pretty good lesson to learn, isn't it? So, then we can stay at our posts, letting him unlock the door of our dreams at just the right time. Let's take a look at verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For the way, of course, are those Christians following the way of Christ, right? For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, 
You know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded them to turn away uh, many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. I read this, guys, and I think about these little Marys that have a bathtub around them. I don't know if you guys think the same thing, but they're all over the place. Would they be upset, you know, if the gospel's going forth? Why are we worshiping these things made with hands? Why are we, you guys understand? So the little bathtub Mary makers, you know, they could be in this setting. You guys kind of see why they would be undone? Hey, this is our trade. We make bathtub Marys. And nobody wants any anymore. We're not making money. You see what's going on? You see why they're a little mad at Paul? He's out preaching the gospel. The one and true living God. Not something that we can make with our hands. So verse 27. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into uh, disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised in her magnificent sorry, magnificence destroyed whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and they cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and they rushed into the theater with one accord and they seized Gaius and our Starkus and the Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. I love that. So if we look at verse 23 here, just when you've stopped panicking and you start trusting, a dam breaks and trouble comes flooding in. So trouble starts with an accusation, right? Demetrius uh, will say that he was the CEO of the silversmiths, okay? Uh, as a result of Paul's preaching, the spread of the gospel, thousands of people had begun worshiping the authentic God and had forsaken the odd-looking Artemis in her uh, myriad of you know, uh, replicas and trinkets. Uh, these silversmiths could care less about God's truth. All they cared about um, was the nose-diving line of their profit charts. <laughs> we just want money, and who cares about God? We just want money. Sound familiar, guys? So like the two demoniacs that got healed in their clothes, they were in their right mind, but all the townsfolks' response was what? <laughs> Ask Jesus to leave. Get them out of here, right? The only thing they cared about were their pig prophets, their hogs, not the healer. They preferred swine over the Savior. So was it really Paul's fault? No. It was God that was changing lives. But they couldn't take a swipe at him, so they tried to make Paul be their punching bag. And when they couldn't get him, someone had to pay. I want you guys to note this. Paul never picketed at the temple. Never. He simply shared the word and lives were changed. Pretty simple. That's how we roll here at Freedom. We want to tell people the truth. The truth sets them free. 
that's how lives are changed. Because let me tell you what, we all can have a voice. We all have social media platforms. What good are they really doing? Where I've seen change happen, it's when someone lovingly takes the time and prays and shares the truth of the gospel with others. That's what God wants. That's when lives are truly changed. Discipleship. We looked into that a few weeks ago. So note, um, actually, if you look at verse 27 and 28 here, we, we see the group, it's growing angrier, right? Uh, with the exrogated accusations. And if you note the situation, it turns suddenly dangerous as thousands of people mob together and they push their way into this theater. So a powder keg of hostility was about to explode here. So what a contrast between those who sacrificed everything for God, verse 19, and those who sacrificed everything for gain. One or the other. So this theater, it was an open-air theater, held about 25,000 people, almost 500 feet in diameter. Uh, Diana, of course, Roman, Artemis, Greek, the goddess of the moon, the daughter of Zeus in Leto, uh, the grotesque multi-breasted image. The temple is one of the seven wonders uh, of the ancient world. 93,500 square feet, four times, four times the size of the Pantheon. Huge, okay? Uh, 127 columns, all 60 feet high, each donated by a different king. Um, and of course, Paul wanted to rush in, but he's held back in verses 30 and 31 here. Which brings us to our second point this morning. Stay calm in spite of the panic of uncontrollable and unpleasant circumstances. Stay calm in spite of panic of uncontrollable and unpleasant circumstances. And the lesson that we can learn, lesson two for us this morning from that, is Paul's frame of mind exemplified the two definitions of peace. Okay, His ability to stay calm in spite of panic of uncontrollable and unpleasant circumstances. So being at peace is no problem when all is serene, right? Oh, this is wonderful and beautiful. The temperature is perfect. The sun is out just right with an occasional cloud to give me a little shade once in a while. This is beautiful and the flowers are rad and smell good, right? Wouldn't that be great to have all the time? Heaven's going to be good. But the point here is being calm when riot is raging at your door. That's when true peace is required. How many of us start tripping so easily? Ah, things aren't shaking out the way I want. I'm not getting what I want. Things aren't the way I want. The peace that we're talking about this morning invades that. You see, it's the kind that comes from relying wholly upon God, wholly upon Him. Circumstances that look like obstacles are really opportunities when you let God work. Circumstances that look like obstacles are really opportunities when you let God work. 
And the third thing we find here this morning is to wait patiently in spite of the panic brought on by uncertainty. Let's pick it up in verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice, they cried out for about two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of the temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiries to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for these disorderly gatherings. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So verse 32, the situation just continues to deteriorate even more here. The people don't even know what they're supposed to be angry about. <laughs> you guys ever get, you find yourself, I'm angry, and I just don't even know why. <laughs> right? uh, that's what they're doing here. So in verses 33 and 34, great is Diana the Ephesians. Can you imagine them doing that for two hours? Chanting that? Okay, two hours of that? I think chants are fun. For like 20 seconds, then I get bored. How could they do that for two hours, right? So Paul's still uh, hidden away. His life is more in danger. Uh, They still want to pound his flesh. Pressure is rising. But then at the right moment, the God of whom Paul serves and, and trusts, he sends in the Calvary here, doesn't he? Right? The town clerk. In other words, the secretary of the city, the executive officer who publishes the decrees of the civic assemblies, the clerk, knowing his job was on the line, he carefully selects a few facts about proper proper legal channels. He saves his own job, the city's standing, and the disciples' lives. I like this guy, right? So if you're ever playing chess... You can always move a pawn or a piece right in front of your opponent to squarely block them. And that's what God did here. You see, in our own lives, he has a way of arranging unexpected events and unlikely people to defend us. So we just have to wait for him to make his move. And that brings us to our third lesson here this morning. Wait patiently in spite of the panic brought on by uncertainty. 
And aren't there a whole lot of things that are uncertain in life? Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't even know if we have tomorrow. That's how uncertain life really is, guys. So, in times of fear, we need to remember God's peaceful promise. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. It is good for us to trust the Lord, to lean into Him. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 there. So wrapping this up, our frame of mind is like the weather. A, it can be sunny and warm, only with only a slight you know, chance of rain. Or it can be B, overcast and cold with storm clouds billowing on the horizon. With such variability, a lot has to do with whether you're trusting the Lord or not. You can change, or you can't change the weather. It just is what it is, right? But you can change your frame of mind. That's what we're able to do. And when we look to Jesus, we've got our eyes fixed upon him, our minds are stayed upon him, we're allowing him to speak to us, through his word, our minds are being renewed. We're going to find, oh boy, Lord, my thinking's messed up. I'm wrong. You're right. That's what normally happens for me, at least. Okay? That's why we're told to be in the word daily. Okay? That's why, because our, our memories aren't the best, are they? We need to remember the Lord's faithfulness. That's why even this morning, these short few verses that we've went through in Acts 19, how precious are these truths? We need to be reminded of these things because we are a forgetful people. Yeah, this is good. Because, Pastor, I, ha I have been in a place of unrest. I have been a little more anxious than normal. And this is truth. Not because of what you're saying, but because this is what God has declared. He's promised this peace. If we look to him, if we're trusting him, that's what we need to do. And it really comes down to our frame of mind. So no matter how great the storm outside, you can always kindle a warm fire of inner peace. I want to close with the scripture, Proverbs 6.6. 6. Go to the ant, consider her ways, and be wise. And Father, that's our desire this morning. God, you told us to get wisdom. And we know that begins in the fear of the Lord. Not that we're to be scared of you. I believe your heart towards us is that you would fear that we'd come short of receiving the many gifts and blessings that you have for us. And one of those blessings that we have as your kids is this peace, a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that this world, they don't get it because they can't get it. They don't have it. And it's a peace that we want to share with this world, Lord. God, this world is chaotic. There's so many ups and downs. But we are so thankful, Lord, for that peace that we have with you, our maker. There's nothing like it. We don't take it for granted. To know you and to know all that you've done, 
how you've redeemed us through the working of the cross. We are so thankful for that. We're thankful for the hope of eternity, what's set before us. And even in this life that we know is but a vapor, it's still hard. And you understand that. You became like us. You know, Father, the struggles of this life. You know what temptation's like. And we thank you that you're there to speak into our lives, that you're there for us, that we can cling to you to trust you. And I want to pray for these brothers and sisters. If there's any that have a hard, under, hard time understanding what it means to lean into you, to trust you in that way, Father, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, or you're so gentle and kind, would you please, in your loving kindness, Lord, show them what that looks like? Because there's nothing better. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your word here this morning. Help us to learn from these lessons. Bring them to remembrance, Holy Spirit, when needed. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen.